So we're here, even though I'm sure you guys are tired. We're tired after all of that excitement on Monday with our Monday night marathon of guests and um, conversations. And I, I, I woke up Tuesday, well, t somewhat later than usual Tuesday. I don't know. It was hard to say. I was like in, lost in the time zones that we had traversed across over the course of the evening, realizing that you know, one way or another, it was a gift to me, <laughs> to myself, asking um, our our great um, experts and friends to come um, talk with us because there were things about our storytelling that I hadn't put together properly until we had to talk through it all in in our great marathon. So. Uh, it, it, it's fun because in our in our story in Act One, our characters have to go through a, a kind of transformation and transition. And I feel like I just put myself through that and you all with me. <laughs> Kilt, Kilt, I don't know. She 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 was sort of in, ahead of me in many ways already. So I caught, I've, I'm catching up. Um, and what we want to do, the reason we're still streaming this week is because we have monastic discipline and we're not going to let you down. We're going to be here on Wednesday, as we said. Um, and we wanted to share with you tonight some of the things we learn and realize now about our our own specific project of Draco Chemicus, but also our larger project of storytelling. And we hope that um, through all of this, uh, it becomes somewhat sort of crystallized uh, what it is that we are hoping to share with you. So. This is the after party of the marathon, the debrief, the 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 consolidation, as it will. It's it's, it's the that we had the we had the great examination. Now we have the the, the grading, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to the mosaic arc. We are such professionals. We're here. Actually, we know we're complete amateurs, which is why we do this for the love of the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So how are you after after streaming for six hours? <laughs> okay, we lie. It's eight, eight minutes short of six hours. <laughs> I know. We almost got it perfectly. But uh, by the end I'm of it, I was just like, I can't. Anyway. I can't even think clearly one thought to the next after after all of that. But Yeah. Um, no, I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place more than usual. Uh, that was a, an intense experience. I I said it was kind of like a you know it was like a lollapalooza. <laughs> just sitting and staring into the 
staring into the the, the ring light for that long. <laughs> but streaming for uh, that amount of time and having that intensity of conversation is something that I've yeah. I've uh, <laughs> I've had to sleep off. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's not. Um... I mean, sort of the meta level of what it's what it's like being in these streams, and that you know, I've been coaching you over the years, but I had you know was learning it for myself for several years. You're really focusing down onto mm -hmm. like just what we hear each other saying, and I am. I, I don't I don't care what anybody else thinks about what happened on Monday. It was so good <laughs> for me yeah. to have to. It's like a you know, we were talking about the Kickstarter as a kind of competition that ramps you up to pay attention to actually what you're doing and claiming. Um, but mm -hmm. also having to, you know, really, I mean, Chuck, Dick I mean, come on, it's like, it was like the legend Chuck Dixon and Hans Schantz, the ethers are, yeah. and, and Rob Crozy, the angel wrangler, right? And Patrick Coffin, hope monger. And suddenly he was like, they showed up to talk to us, which was very sweet. And just yes. the, 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 the sort of, the fusion of expertise at that level it's i mean it's given i told you i woke up suddenly with like oh that's what we're doing and and that the the conversations we had over the course of that evening were this amazing arc of now i get it now now i understand really what it is we're doing and it it is curious how sometimes yeah. this kind of thing doesn't come clear until you're really under that sort of pressure, which is why we do conferences and why you do you know papers and such. You have to put yourself in that situation of really testing it. Yeah, yeah. You need opponents in order to understand whether or not what you're doing is uh, is is accurate, uh, whether or not what you're doing is interesting to other people. Uh, opponents bring you out of your own head. And so this Kickstarter campaign has been kind of us in opposition um, to, you know, propose this this fairy tale to an audience that may not necessarily really understand the value of poetry yet. I mean, it's a very difficult sell to propose sort of, <laughs> um, a book that's written entirely in iambic pentameter and then uh, figure out, I mean, not why it's important, because we know it's right. important, but to, to need to figure out how to communicate the importance of what we're doing to to a wider audience uh, and also to people that are uh, maybe a little bit nervous to engage with this material and who might feel that it's a little too highbrow. You know, that was a big part of the conversation that we had with um, with all of our guests was this uh, concept of highbrow and lowbrow mm -hmm. in, in, in art and as creators and, you know, the the gentlemen that we spoke to they were all very um very modest in describing their work as low brow but uh i think this medium this poetic medium has sort of attained a a, a veil of uh of of being so elite that it's almost impossible for normal or uneducated people to be able to connect mm -hmm. with it uh, which was not the case. I mean, poetry is for people. It's for the people. Right. Uh, so it was really lovely to hear them describe what they were doing in terms of comic art and writing fiction, writing stories, writing graphic novels, describing what they were doing as, as lowbrow and realizing actually there is no distinction as long as we're writing things that are going to interest our readers and that what people would perceive as lowbrow art 
actually is quite complex. Oh, there yeah. is an incredible amount of complexity in the storytelling of um of different mediums. So I was really happy to be able to connect with those people and, and hear them talk about how they're making what they're making. Um, and it was it was a nice reminder that actually what we're doing with the iambic pentameter, what we're doing with poetry is it's it's not beyond most people. It's just that I think uh, the art form has been abandoned and uh, we need to remind everybody that they're able to enjoy it as much as they are comic, uh, comic art and graphic novels and other formats. So, Well, and that we, I mean, we're putting it together with comics and with the illustrations yes. and that therefore it, yeah. it occurred. I mean, these, these things that, you know, I, I knew what we were doing was, you know, literary with comic illustration, but until we had that conversation with him, because they kept saying, Oh, you know, I knew it was kind of lowbrow and it's just storytelling. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, we're doing it yeah. as comics because I had that meditation on comics as this kind of incarnational art, but it's like saying now, yep. well, we are, we're doing what most people consider very highbrow, which is, you know, the, the, the ancient and, you know, medieval, modern, early modern style of, of literature with an art form that, you know, most people now consider even, th you know, with Scott McCloud's efforts to lift the, lift the genre into, or the medium into, you know, respectability. It's like, no, it stays lowbrow. And then what Rob was saying about, the, you know, that you tell these lowbrow stories and if they, they start connecting with the highbrow stories, they end up lowbrow again, because quote, you know, it's, it's adventure stories and the psychomachias and, and, and the, you know, my realizing then of course, we're, we're in that Christian problem of the, the sermo humilis, the, 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 the lofty subjects done in speech that is accessible to, well, not accessible. That That's not what Augustine was worried about. He was worried about the kinds of things you describe in which mo mode of speech, whether it's, you know, elevated and lofty mm -hmm. or whether it's ordinary and base. And that Christianity is always this tension between opposites, the high and the low, the God and the human the word in the image. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, 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 we're coming out of this, uh, amazing marathon to, to reflect on the, the Sermo Humilis mm -hmm. again. And then I was thinking this morning, you know, it's based storytelling. That's what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bringing, uh, bringing the, the transcendentals into a plain tongue and being able to, uh, depict these things artistically, uh, to connect them to, to things which are, um, are not difficult to, to comprehend mm -hmm. at all. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing conversation with all of the storytellers that we were with and, uh, clarified a lot of, uh, problems that we have now to solve in the story, but also <laughs> to see what we've done right. Uh, so far. And um, I was really interested in um, what Chuck Dixon had to say about character creation, mm -hmm. especially um, as he, you know, was talking about creating Bane, giving him a backstory, explaining, you know, his world and where he came from and how he ended up, who he, who he ended up. Uh, it's, it's given me a lot to think about. Give me a lot to think about how, how we can bring this kind of depth to our characters mm -hmm. also, or at least, um, make sure that the audience can see it. They can see what we see.
Well, let's hope that we're getting closer to be able to do that. And we, <laughs> we have, um, I have, there's some very specific things that we've, we've been now working on for the last few days that just, like I said, this is sort of crystallization. And um, I was, this is kind of, a, for me, a, a, an exercise in note taking. Let's say, let's say this into the stream, mm -hmm. into, you know, to you all so that we can point back to this moment and say, okay, this is what we were actually trying to do and, and recognizing any of you who are writing stories and having to pitch your, pitch your piece, you know, your, art to people that hopefully these are also elements that are familiar or you know maybe maybe there are problems that you've been having and we're hoping that our struggling with them is 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 instructive as well so shall we go in go, let's yeah go, let's, let's go do in. it okay so <laughs> yeah. the first one the title <laughs> of our book right the draco alchemicus which mm -hmm. i i promise you i just thought you know it's like i i do have this propensity for choosing latin titles i grant you um and and of course some of it it's it's because uh, you know when i'm we're in my own scholarship all of the books that i'm talking about um from the you know the high middle in the middle ages right some of the earlier ones don't have titles right but by the by the high middle ages people are giving their books clever titles like one of the writers i worked on honorius augustinensis i know even his name is tricky um gave fancy titles to his books like oh sigillum beati mariae which is the seal of mary and you know i've written about that it's like why he is, chose the seal as the imagery the gimma animae the gem of the soul which is the um commentary on the liturgy and you know the speculum ecclesiae the mirror of the church which is a whole i hope that I have these right in the right order you know series of sermons for the the year that the title you know getting a sense of there's a sort of poetry and a title that encapsulates the whole and when we named draco alchemicus i was thinking well you know we were talking about alchemy we wanted to have a dragon in it and you know the alchemical dragon doesn't quite mean the same thing as draco alchemicus although that's the translation and so we went with draco alchemicus and mm -hmm. then we're informed recently that you know nobody knows what that means. They're already put off by a fancy title. Now I don't believe that. <laughs> I think I think that our you know hopefully target audience of people who are curious about this kind of lesson in in storytelling um, will be intrigued by a name like that. But maybe not. Maybe maybe it's it's worrisome and makes people scared to think I can't read a book that has that title. I don't even know what the title means. I mean, someone in our chat well, calls himself Silent Draco, so there. Or just, it should be <laughs> Draco Silens, you know, whatever. Sine verbum, sine verbo, I don't know. <laughs> Silent Draco. Um, well, you know, we were describing movies when we were having the discussion with Patrick mm. Coffin. And uh, the... Um, Although my microphone's done some strange things, um, uh, discussing you know Mel Gibson's uh, body of mm. work, but it, uh, also um, another project that's being uh, connected to Ethan Hawke who did a, a film called Gattaca. I mean, there are plenty of films that have the very very odd titles, very obscure, um, very obscure names that are relevant to the story that you don't really understand until you understand the story itself. Um, Apocalypto being mm -hmm. another one of Mel Gibson's Apocalypto, one of my favorite stories ever. We talked about that with Patrick Coffin as well. So, um, 
sort of happens all the time in film. Um, and I think people rely on the trailers to reveal a little bit more of the story when they don't understand the film title. So that was the the challenge for us in the Kickstarter was kind of giving the right trailer, giving the right bite for people to understand why we gave it this complex Latin mm -hmm. name. Um, it could not just be the alchemical dragon. Uh, Draco Alchemicus is specifically linked to the drug trade. It's specifically linked to our civilization's reliance on the science, on science itself, uh, and the alchemy of science, um, and where all of this came from. So we really needed to anchor it in that kind of science speak, that science world, which the title does. I mean, Draco Alchemicus sounds like a prescription. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like the kind of Latin that a doctor would use or a scientist would use. And, you know, as you were, uh, explaining during the marathon being the daughter of two doctors it's a different language which obscures the simplicity of the things that are being said behind right. it um so we then figured out uh towards the end of the kickstarter that actually what we were doing was explaining how people are sold snake oil that is glamorized as a exclusive or luxurious cure um something rebranded you know the poison rebranded mm -hmm. as the cure so that's why the title is the way it is um and uh you know for for a lot of reasons we want to maintain this uh kind of magical feeling of using uh, of using the latin in this way because this is what the the civilization that we live in mm -hmm. has done it's um it's adopted the use of Latin not as a liturgical language and not as a um, uh, an expression of faith, but as an expression of alchemy, essentially, mm -hmm. and science. So, uh, yeah, then we have the the kind of interesting hint that we have in the title: is this a is this a spell? You know, what is this language? Is it a spell or is it? Uh, is it uh, science? Is it fact? Right. Very hard to tell the difference between the two, which is what the story is all about. See, we're getting better at explaining these things, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> and and I think yeah. I mean it, it's it's that that thing that's now it's obvious to us and had been obvious to us, but with under the pressure of you know putting together the Kickstarter and then talking talking with our friends really having to make yeah. it clear that you you know you don't have the time when you're in the elevator with you know mel gibson who you guys are going to figure out a way to get us in touch with because apparently he likes poetry we've been told yeah. um it, and weird languages and weird languages <laughs> I mean, Obscure and movies apocalypto we we we, <laughs> are, we know we're writing something that can be put on screen we're sure about this um that yes. we are you know you can feel right about something but still haven't literally articulated it to to say why it is and the 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 um you know the back and forth i had about the title patrick helped me a lot which we mentioned in the long stream but you guys this is the also condensed version of of what we learned um that if you have a difficult title like that that you do need in some way to make that a point of your pre you know presentation to people because otherwise they won't they'll just pass by and say if you can say like draco chemicus that that's kind of you know that sounds that sounds fancy doesn't it 
and then you say, you know, if what, you know, what if we called it snake oil? Oh, right. And then you know what it is already. So that it is meant as that kind of cloaking and veiling. Um, I mean, what's what's funny? We're showing we're showing right now the the backs that we've got. We've got the cards now, right? The uh, the act the cards that Patrick showed you in his in his um, magic tricks, and these are the exclusively for the Kickstarter backer rewards rewards i've been playing solitaire with them and i win every time and i played twice and i won both times so we don't know whether they're magic or not they're they're just blessed um that that they're twinned as the the you know people look at the brazen serpent they typically do recognize the brazen serpent which i find interesting every time i've posted that picture on twitter people have said oh that's the brazen serpent isn't it but then they don't recognize what the other one is. And they're saying, what is that? I don't know mm -hmm. that. I don't see, I have not seen it before. And it is Zay's rendering of a very famous picture of an alchemical dragon, right? Either globe dragon or the, mm -hmm. you know, the dragon that transforms lead into gold. Some way or other, this is this power dragon. And it's that it's on the globe in the way that it is. It's um, on, as it were, the, the world as a T.O. or it's on a scepter or something like that. So it's, this is mm -hmm. the, the dragon of power in the world versus the brazen serpent, which is Moses's antidote to the snake bites. And obviously, I mean, hopefully now, it, Patrick is also telling us, don't be, you know, you got to be clear if you want to get people to be interested. And you're just like, no, let's be clever and do riddles and they'll be intrigued. And he's like, mm, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. I mean, it's, well, it's hard to... It, how how many layers of riddles can you give someone but you know when it and not just make it irritating and we are starting to appreciate that a little bit better we are we promise our blurbs for our videos are now mm -hmm. going to be much more clear <laughs> yes yes um well it's a difference between being in an art studio and then having to discuss what you're doing with mm. people uh this the um you know, it was, this is the first project that we've ever crowdfunded for. Uh, the two previous works that DCR have produced were done without uh, without crowdfunding. Right. So we've we've really never had to explain uh, ourselves in in the just <laughs> we've never had to explain why we exist even. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> you know, just it's kind of a, <laughs> exactly. We're just doing this. What are you doing? Are oh, we making poetry? Oh, okay, that's nice. Bye. Um, yeah, we've never had to explain our existence before in the same way. Um, but for for anyone who's writing, hopefully what we're, we're, we're doing out in the open in public will help you to understand how better to introduce your work to other people as well. Um, for for us, it's very easy to go into riddle speak because we're dregs. Uh, and because dragons we love, love riddles. Them into it. Yeah, we do. We love we riddles. Love them. <laughs> we think of riddles, and that's all. You know, it's like you know, riddling language. Yep. You get us going. We're you know, we're 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 happy as drakes. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but the you know, putting that into the art itself is different to 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 being able to bring it to the market, being able to show everybody exactly why they need what uh, what you're proposing to sell them. Um, and so you know that that was the moment. Uh, I remember you said, you know, oh wow, we're actually doing this. We're selling, uh, we're selling something. Yes. Something well, and, and the thing is, but I uh, also, I've also come to understand that you know there are different kinds of markets, and so you know yeah. that my my experience as an academic, and and this is you know, if, if you're watching and you 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 want to be in academia, you are your own product, 
it's like the what you what you primarily sell for example in a job a job interview is yourself because you're trying to sell the expertise that you've gained to fit with whatever it is the department that you're talking with thinks they want and so you know obviously i have practiced with that and both from both sides from presenting myself as a candidate for you know jobs or fellowships or um well, mainly that, right? Those are the way the primary ways we're funded. And you are presenting yourself to colleagues as the thing that they want to support or hire. And um, it, with the Kickstarter, that was interesting because it does the, the instructions for the Kickstarter do say introduce yourselves and why, you know, how you came to your project. I'm like, okay, I know that. Although we did do fairly, as far as I was concerned, fairly brief bios of ourselves we you know because we know nobody cares about us right it's like if you're if you're if you're selling a book or you're selling an object the the sense of whether you care about the makers or the artists is is not there yet right and it's like we we do appreciate that we have fans and we are we are perfectly happy to be fangirled if it happens but <laughs> you know, if you're trying to say uh, we want you to know this story, that's irrelevant, right? The the teller the teller of the tale is not the primary product at, at this point. I, I suppose to be it's, it's interest it's different from performers, right? Like actors or singers, yes. they are yeah. they, they have the the content that they're promoting, and they're also themselves as the performance. So anyway, so as academics, that and then in a in an academic argument in an academic context, you know, I we do also sell each other books, and I say sell each other, right? Because we're primarily trying to get other academics to read our work because we're saying here this is in that conversation that you're already having, and so we say what the historiography is and how this fits in, you know, the interest of the field and, and things like that. And again, neither of these things are at all relevant to the the you know the the actual public who want stories and chuck dixon was brilliant at, at talking about that he's like well, you you have to get people interested in the story from the beginning or why would they stick with it there's no requirement for them to read it they, they want a story yeah yep. you know. yeah they want to be entertained um they want to be enchanted very quickly or else they're not going to invest time in it so uh it's it's a good reminder that uh as as much as we're enjoying what we're doing, we really do need to make sure that other people are enjoying it as well. Right. Um, and yeah, trying to explain, <laughs> trying to explain exactly why we've decided on such an, uh, I mean, it seems like an obscure medium to, you know, if I'm describing our project to people, they said, why, why aren't you just writing it into a, mm. a normal novel? Um, it doesn't have the same effect. And uh the the way of pitching this i mean it's not like a film we're not relying on visuals to sell things this is the challenge with this kind of project as well we do have the graphic novel element we do have beautiful illustrations um, to accompany the work but the content the depth of the content itself is not in visuals it's in the poetry itself mm -hmm. So it is a very challenging thing to figure out how to share with people without overwhelming mm -hmm. them. Um, we we sort of had this multimedia approach where we said, okay, well, we'll show them the illustrations. We'll give them uh, example uh, snippets of the of the actual poem. We've wrote stanzas just for the, you know, Casey wrote all of these um, amazing stanzas just for the 
for the um, social media post. And, uh, and then, you know, we had a reading, Captain Zodiac did a reading of the first act. So it was our way of trying to figure out exactly it were, yeah, exactly. how to market <laughs> something like this when there's no precedence for it currently. Like we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing a punk rock approach in many ways to figure out exactly how to show the medium in its best light so that people do find it. Right. So, yeah. Well, I have, I mean, it's like, I, and again, there's sort of the, the pitching problem saying that we've, we have, we hope we've got a better sense of say how to explain the, 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 the title. Um, you know, the, the, the silent Draco is saying, how do you say in three to four sentences what your hero's mission is? And he's saying, you know, subtitle, it, the, the, the chat's thinking about it for right now, but the, you know, we do, I, the electric fairy tale, we think electric is meaningful to us, but unfortunately that may be a little bit too far embedded into the McLuhanite significance. I think mm. fairy tale definitely matters. Fully illustrated with dragons. Okay. That's good. Um, but it is, I think we're, you know, to say if it's an allegory, that's not going to help because nobody knows what an allegory is. People, it, it, this, it, this is, you know, the genre is your friend <laughs> in all contexts, yeah. right? It's like people need a frame of the kind of story that they're going to engage with. And I mean, that's why bookstores are divided into different genre groups. And it, it's also why academics work the way we do. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm writing in history. I'm writing in art history. I'm writing in music. I'm writing in psychology, mm -hmm. right? And those those frames actually do help you greatly because you you're sort of your your audience needs to come with some expectation about what kind of experience it's going to be to mm -hmm. want to be there in the first place right and that's why you know, the once upon a time is so powerful because it's like ah you story right <laughs> we're we're yes. in the story now and and that that frame is the magic that that brought you in in the first place so I think I think we're st we're still yeah. we're still working on the subtitle probably to make it resonant in the way that we need it to be. Mm. Yeah, the once upon a time is an instant. Yeah, uh, and it an instant prime for primer for what's happening. Um, so, in terms of our subtitle, I'm not sure exactly how to come up with it on the spot. Uh, it's a fairy tale. Essentially, it is a fairy tale. We know it's a fairy tale, but it's yeah, it's a kind of you know, it's 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 okay. So we still we still need to figure out the subtitle. <laughs> We're certain on the Draco Chemicus and why, but the 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 actual subtitle maybe it's like okay, I and unfortunately now I'm not under enough stress to be able to fix that. We no, <laughs> and and what is interesting is is usually that you're workshopping this kind of thing um the, the the your ability to say it quickly comes under enormous pressure of your friend going now say it now no not don't you know don't breathe don't hesitate say it now what and i again mm -hmm. patrick was doing that with me um over the weekend and i was like well this book will make you smarter and he's like that's good <laughs> <laughs> okay this book will make you smarter we promise it's like listening to mozart yeah. right it's like everybody said oh you know you listen to mozart you get smarter read our book you will be smarter <laughs> so you know we can use that but i think we're we're still sort of wrestling with the 
the hybridity of what it is we're trying to accomplish, which is, of course, you know, the whole point of the, the story, because it's about Christ, guys, and it, therefore it's incarnational. Therefore, it's a gospel. You know, it's like, I, I, I'm stumbling here. Any help in the chat? Seems like the hero is rescuing his love from the perils of a den, drug, a den of drug horrors. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I love yeah, Draco. That's, that's exactly it. it. Yes. <laughs> we, I mean, it's it's funny. We have actually said that, but it never quite that bluntly, right? And and in, indeed, and this is Patrick to his, you know, to we've relied a lot on Patrick, who's going to like be the end scope of where we're going to here here tonight, in the sense of oh, right, now we get it. Um, that yes. you know, we want to be clever, and clear is what we need to be, and clear is really hard for artists because. We think in the mysteries and the patterns and the the complexity mm. that's our pleasure, but we you got to have the door in in a place where people can find it, right? <laughs> You've hidden the door in a corner over here where you know no one is going to see it. it. It's impossible. They're just going to bang into the wall. Yes, yeah. So we have well, we have been considering ways in which we can at least. So we were also realized in the marketing. It's like okay, the, the sort of what's your poison? Learn to discern. I think that that's a good good, but we still need a subtitle of what what Draco Chemicus is. It's a fairy tale. We could just say it's a fairy tale. That was what Animal Farm was when George Orwell originally yes. published Animal Farm it was a fairy tale. So we could just say that. Yeah. Maybe that's all we need to do. I like. Yeah. Draco Chemicus, a fairy tale. I think that is good. Fully illustrated with dragons. Fully illustrated with dragons. In the in the in the way that the old fairy tales very much were full of horror and romance and and everything. Uh, Maybe we yeah we were trying too hard to over describe it. It can be just a fairy tale. Yep. Okay. Well, we solved that. Okay. So <laughs> so the the next thing realizing that then you know it's, it's a fairy tale and and people say well, okay that's interesting and. Your conversations can go a number of different ways. I was, I was, I was sort of note taking through some of that. You know, what, what's this? You know, you're in the elevator with Mel Gibson. What's the story about discernment? And we can go there and and talk about how it is about oh. discernment. But typically, people, because genre is your friend, and you're trying to show people what kind of story it is. I mean, even even the you know ancient storytellers did this too. Once upon a time, or you know, Beowulf with his its wet opening, right? Listen, it, it's like you get the harpist there with the opening chord and everybody sort of settles into, aha, I know what kind of thing is about to happen. We're about to have a story, right? And so yeah. you go to a movie, you get the opening, you know, sort of riff off the music, you know, from the very moment of the, the first chord, what kind of thing you're you're about to be in. And you you sort of adjust to the you adjust your attention so that you can do the imaginary um, work of imagination to participate in it so we do actually want to help people <laughs> understand how yes. how are you going to get inside this this experience well i've come up with a i've come up with a way to say it you want to hear are we ready yes, for I this do. always I'll show you. No, okay. I have to. So you have you, the thing is, I. You see what? Yes, doing. I see. I see. It's not terrible. Riddles, I can do it with. Look, I I have found with the cards that you 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 pull the cards out 
and you and you sort of you know you do this with them i can't do it the way patrick does with you it's like and you start showing people the 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 pictures and the characters right and suddenly Mm. you're you're kind of in the story already i think i we just we if only these cards well they're they're absolutely beautiful they have the we're going to show you some of the character pictures tonight we realized that one of the things we learned is you have to get inside characters right and and the cards are very helpful but this is this is always my problem as a as a problem as an opportunity as a teacher i'm great at show and tell (laughs) it's like give me a prop here i can point to it here it's show and tell but this is the problem right and you see, right, in our videos, I'm always showing you pictures because that's the way I can think. I could, like, if I can show you a picture, here's an icon. You realize this is also mm-hmm. one of our problems as, as oh, I don't know, Christians. How do you talk about the, you know, the invisible? Oh, I want a picture, right? And then I can be showing you what it is we're actually talking about. But if you're in conversation with people and you're not carrying around your deck of cards and you can't pull out your prop, what do you, you have to appeal to something that people already know, give them some anchor for where where you're coming from. So I won't show you the picture yet. Okay, so I figured out how, it's like we're doing a crossover. Everything's a crossover. It's all, all things are always just like you're blending. Like all art is speaking to me, it's, it's in other forms. So we are doing a crossover. Mm-hmm. To have all your, you know, it's, do I have everybody's attention? He said, oh, Silent Draco, stop it. He's too good. You're telling the heroine of hell, right? Yes. <laughs> Silent Draco, you want to be writing copy for us? We can really use you. <laughs> Please never log off. <laughs> you're, you're doomed. You must be here. Yes, we're writing the heroine of hell. Yes. A fairy tale about the heroine of hell. But okay, here's the, here's the crossover. Now I'm now I'm 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 shy because if this doesn't work instantly, then I it's not going to work. I f- I, f- I feel like I feel like Patrick with his cards like click click. Is it going to is it actually gonna, okay? It's okay. We're in, we're in workshop. We're in here. workshop. We're in work, workshop. It'll work eventually. We're in workshop. But that's a problem. You might be out on the street and have to say, "What are you working on?" It's like, "Oh, this poem. It's called Draco Chemicus. Oh, what's that? Oh, well, it's a magic spell, but it's also medicinal. Oh, what is? Well, what kind of story is it? Well, it's a fairy tale. Oh, I like fairy tales. Well, this one's kind of different. It's it's sort of a crossover between mm, Star Wars and Shakespeare. Hey, it's it's Star Wars and it's Bravo. Star Wars and Shakespeare. And we've explained how you can say, what, like a space opera and Hamlet? Well, yeah. (laughs) Now at least you've given people, and I mean, the crossover problem is it's like it's generationally, Vox is always talking about, you know, the boomers trying to force their music on people. You may or may not have caught people with things they actually knew. So I picked Star Wars and Mel Gibson. (laughs) Two Mel Gibson things. Mel Gibson's Hamlet, right? which in Clueless was actually great. You remember that scene in Clueless when um, Cher is being rescued by her half brother, or not her, her stepbrother, and and oh, and, yeah. and the 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 the, the college age girlfriend is you know saying this above all to thy known self be true. That's what Hamlet said, and Cher says that he didn't say that. And <laughs> the girl said, I think I know Shakespeare, and she says, Yeah, but I know my Mel Gibson. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> 
Perfect. <laughs> in any case, that Star Wars is a particular kind of adventure, which ironically enough is in fact modeled on the Fairy Queen, as we've explained. And then mm -hmm. Shakespeare, you know, it's like Shakespeare, we realize we're writing in the mode, the meter that Shakespeare used for his great, his greatest soliloquies and, and scenes and things like that. So maybe that's a way to start, right? It's like, well, it's like Shakespeare meets, Star Wars mm -hmm. meets Shakespeare. I, I need I need I need some audience reaction right. at this point. Love Gibson is Hamlet. Well, Kate, no, Casey, you don't. You know, you're already inside. We need some people outside <laughs> who don't know what we're dealing with. And is this going to be a, you know, a, a significantly familiar enough thing to then feel oh, but a little strange because why would you put Star Wars and Shakespeare together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, people outside of the art studio, please let us yes. know. <laughs> in the comments, please, <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, and, and you know, saying that, you know, there is that element of, with Luke, um, that he's the knight, he's the Red Cross knight who has to rescue Una and, help you know, help her defeat the dragon. And Hamlet, with um, Shakespeare, of course, in insofar as he's probably Catholic, having to hide his Catholicism under the mm -hmm. conflicts that the characters are in, and with Hamlet, particularly with the um, his his father, right? His ghost comes to Hamlet, right? Not wait, is that Macbeth? Oh dear. No, that's Macbeth. That's Macbeth. Well, okay, that's a ghost, and he's coming from purgatory. Because where else would he be coming from? What does Hamlet have? I mean, he has he has to figure out the lies that his 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 um, uncle is telling him about what, how his father died, and put a play in a play, and, and things like that. That Shakespeare is in the. It's very meta. Yeah, the Shakespeare is very meta in the way that we are. How's that? <laughs> and Mel Gibson. Yes, with riddles mm -hmm. too, because Shakespeare loved riddles, loved writing riddles into stories. Right. Uh and making up a lot of vocabulary as he went along too. So it's a kind of way of linking what we're doing to try and get everyone into the headspace that we want to we want to enter a world where word wordplay is happening right. again. But in a in a metered structured uh language format instead of uh anything can mean anything and then there are no rules. So we really wanted to link language and and number mm -hmm. again uh so which is shakespeare i mean you know it, it's it's absolute creativity with perfect form and you can't have that uh absolute creativity without without the form the form allows the art to happen so we're we're kind of uh you know rejecting the the modern art approach where everything is purely subjective and you know everyone can have their own opinion on the art of what is art what is beautiful what is good um that kind of uh understanding that if it's shakespearean well what are we we're aiming for the heights of the of of english language mm -hmm. play i was i was thinking it's like so e michael jones has used um the t there's an image there's a moment in the now i'm forgetting which one's which the merchant of venice when one of the characters is talking about the music of the spheres and that that yeah. that that sense of the order of the cosmos that's mathematical but in therefore in you know in the music in the meter and that that is necessary to beauty that we are participating in that it, it occurs to me mm -hmm. that with star wars it is in the music right that that we have people tend to respond much more to the to the score 
from Star Wars. Cer- I mean, yep. the dialogue is quite, you know, playful and, 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 and stripped down, but everybody recognizes the music or uh, someone was showing me today on Social Galactic, a really interesting video about the Howard Shore's music for the Lord of the Rings. And that in, in, in movies, it's very often, I think the the order and the beauty is in the music. I had never thought of that before until now. It's like, duh. <laughs> so we know what that <laughs> is, right? Shakespeare doesn't have music. Yeah. He has the meter of his language. So we do recognize the necessity yeah. for the musical element in the storytelling, because why else would we have music in all of our movies? Uh, we have Silent Draco again. Do we... Forbidden Planet was the Tempest with ray guns. Story worked very well. There we go. And Johnny Depp did a movie about the, no, was it Forbidden Planet? That was Plan 9. Okay, never mind. <laughs> right. And then realizing he's like, oh, you mean the Ed Wood alien yeah, film? Yeah, that was, that was Plan 9. That's the worst film ever made. <laughs> yeah. But everything is always referring to everything else. I mean, that that's what art does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's It has to be referential. And that's another thing that, um, Mike, Dr. Jones, E. Michael Jones, he's Mike. I don't like, how can he have so many titles? EMJ. Um, when he's, he's talking about, um, no, I forgot what I was saying. I forgot. I, I, the, the, the multiplicity of his, of his names, right? The referentiality. Golly, help me. See, he's now self-referential because he has so many names. <laughs> <laughs> he's the multiverse of emj um no you were saying how everything has to reference it uh art is always going to reference other arts it's never ex nihilo that latin for from nothing we 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 can't create ex nihilo we have to have something to base our creative projects on which is ultimately god's creation so from the beginning from the first artwork ever made by mankind we were already referencing other arts because we had to look at god's art first to say oh that's amazing let's see if i can have a god and make my fan fiction version of whatever it is that we're staring at so it's a civilization as a fan fiction project yes which is something we've talked about uh in the stream before so uh having this uh yeah having this ability to link what we're doing to other projects is important and so that's what you were saying all these different art art, artworks that are referencing other things right and that that's i remember what jones is saying is that mimesis is necessary for beauty and truth and goodness Ah, right and that mimesis is referenced it's rep it's representate it's representation of reality but it's basically reference to reality and so this this Mm interreferentiality of the art is I mean, we, we want to feel ourselves inside this cosmic whole that references God. I mean, and, 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 and so our art, insofar as it references all of these other stories and images and patterns, will feel more satisfying to people. And I, people do respond to it. They like it more when it feels like it refers to things they know. And that, that sensation of pleasure of, oh, that's like that, and oh, that refers to that, it, I mean, it's... it's yeah. I think also the obverse of why we draw, right? It's like I see that I want it. It's be, I mean, want I want to respond to it. It's beautiful. I'm mimicking it. So that that feeling mm-hmm. of pleasure is be, the the genesis of art. Being 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 yeah. Um, in you know, in, and the thing is, we did know that we were in conversation with all these things, but I think we've been shy or trying to be too clever, um, rather than just saying it, right? <laughs> We didn't know about Star Wars until recently, but saying, yes, we're trying to write like Shakespeare. Okay. 
and mm-hmm. um you know that it, I, what i have been meditating on is you know it, what does not work at all and this was very clear talking to to the guys on monday is saying we're saving the culture it's like nobody cares about saving culture cultures you know what it's like i realize how it, you might you yeah. might save things for your children and then you're saving you feel like an inheritance or a treasure or something like that but the culture as such it doesn't there is no such thing right it's it, culture is a is a practice mm-hmm. not a you know well you could say museums or something but i i was realizing that you know what we want is to feel that we're participating in great storytelling not saving the culture yes yeah um to your earlier point uh it needs to be said that the the issue with the mimesis is that we've rejected prototype. Mm-hmm. So what we're getting is enormous amounts of fan fiction based on now uh, things that are created without uh, referencing the objective uh objective truth Mm -hmm. you know if art is created with the view of everyone has their own truth suddenly the art starts to degrade and so everybody's been making things for the last few decades based on their subjective experience their art is uh is created in rejection of the prototype which is what emj is talking about in terms of beauty and Mm -hmm. logos and the logos of, of of art and and that kind of thing but what we have to try and explain to people also is uh allow them to make connections with things that are not rejecting the prototype you know that there's been a gap between referencing art that has still uh, it's still sort of connected to art, not in rebellion against objective truth, beauty, and goodness. There are like this kind of para- parallel fan fiction versions that we're swimming through mm-hmm. as well. So we're not just saving the culture. We're trying to allow people to connect the threads of their generation with previous generations, with the whole heritage of the tradition that we've received in the civilization and allow everybody to say, oh, okay, this is where that comes from. This is where that comes mm-hmm. from. Realizing that nothing is ex nihilo. Everything has ha, has a link somewhere else with another story, with another piece of art, with another piece of music. Um, and that all of the, 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 you know, parallel universe fan fiction versions that have said no prototype is not necessary we're just going to do this what the boys were saying during the marathon Mm -hmm. where the writers are now just out to offend everybody they don't care about entertaining anybody they don't care about making a good story with good characters they just want to offend everybody that kind of offensive output that's all disconnected from from the art world Mm -hmm. it's uh it's in defiance of it so we're ignoring that and we're creating something that is going to allow people to enter a fairy tale that then will connect them to the rest of 
the fairy stories of our of our civilization and all the other different things that we've uh, kind of ripped ourselves away mm -hmm. from. Well, this is where this is where we get so the the the, the, the two you know one the big lesson of you got to deal with your title right and the two sort of ex yeah. get the right genre feel feel for people that that you have some sense i mean star wars star wars meets shakespeare obviously <laughs> and then yeah. and then you know i st we got we got into okay what is what the, the the sort of marketing problem of why we're writing the kind of thing that we actually are and it's like when this is this is the usual oh i i need to lead them there carefully and get to the point so they go aha and feel great at the time it's like rachel you're you're trying to practice being clear here. <laughs> it's not working <laughs> <laughs> hit him with a shotgun <laughs> oh well, yeah I, I was re-watching that part where, where patrick is asking us mel is making lots of clips for everybody so you know we'll watch the whole thing six hours straight we've got segments now they're going up yeah. um where he's saying, you know, t figuring out who's who you actually are going to pay attention to and you and who you're not, and clear them with the shotgun load, uh, rat racking. Mm -hmm. Um, that we needed to figure out what we're actually selling, yeah. And the conversation with the guys made me realize, ah, okay. There's something very specifically that we're selling, which is a story with a particular character. And that it's, it's in, you know, in the sort of long term of things, it's always been what I've been working on. And I'm curious now in my own sense of why it's been so hard for me just to say this as, mm -hmm. yes, this is what I'm doing. And I think there's, there's a kind of ism problem here in that, you know, modernity, we tend to think in these these systems, um, or institutions, or I mean, I I, I suppose the the collectives and brands. stuff. Sorry. Yeah, we think in brands. Well, not not brands, but brands. I mean, I guess is it brands rather than characters? The, the, okay, so bluntly, what we're doing is selling Christ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have to explain what that means. <laughs> and in in the in the sense of and this I've recognized this as we've been we've been doing this this whole year with the Mosaic Arc and one of the things we repeatedly say is we're frustrated with the way people argue theology, or we're frustrated with the people the way people think about um, Christianity as a brand of some sort that's you know a, mm -hmm. a, a, you know Christian nationalism or this you know whether you're Orthodox or Catholic or um, how you know and, and then i real i realized that i've always been pretty much massively uninterested in that pitch right because i'm not selling you a church right i'm not trying to get you audience into my church into my institution that i need you now to give me money for to keep my institution going right and that was that the, the sort of kickstarter was making this clarifying for me because uh, it, it, it also was crossing over with the problem of, you know, we have a mission and we need you to help us with our mission. So you get all the fundraising, you know, pleas for, you know, our organization is going to help do this or that. And we've never, I've never mm -hmm. been working with trying to create an organization. Dragon Common Room is a 
uh, team, right? But but our what we're trying to do, we are trying to do something which is show you Christ, and and then and then I I got to that point of saying we're we're, we're I did some 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 Tuesday morning when I was I realized we're selling Christ. We will now try to explain what that means. <laughs> It's right there on our cover, right? And yeah, and, no. <laughs> and of course, again, we do this to ourselves. We tell ourselves what we're doing, and then figure it out later on. <laughs> well, but we knew it was right, and it's the ecce homo. I mean, we could mm. say it Latin, right? Behold yes. the man, and that in the in the model that we gave Zay for the cover image that we have of you know Christ at the gate, he's dressed as he as he is in the great um, Cisneri. Uh, I wrote his name down because I forget the artist's name. Oh, whatever. Um, it's the famous picture of the the the, the very very beautiful nineteenth century Ece Homo, and 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 Christ is standing there with the the robe not on his shoulders as he usually is, but down around his waist. Mm. You know, the the nineteenth century liked using fit models. So <laughs> very beautiful people representing this um and pilots pointing to him on the balcony and saying here he is right and and you know to say look we chose the ecce homo as the model for this image that's what we're trying to show you look here he is we want you to see him we want you to understand him we're trying to sell you this and and not that we need any money for it right it's like this is and this is where the conversation with patrick made it so clear for me it's like we want you to see this story. This is the story that we're trying to show you. And we're worried. I, you know, I've obviously been worried that if we just say it that bluntly, you won't listen. Because everybody's been so turned off by the branding yes. in other ways. Oh, you're talking about Christ. Well, I, I don't need or, to know that. You can have your yeah, personal or, Christ. Or, I don't want that one. Yeah, they've been turned off by the branding mm -hmm. and also really bad Christian art. Like, uh, you know, Patrick Coffin was saying, you know, you've got to make you've got to make good art. You can't just accept the Rotten Tomatoes review of uh, your critics who are potentially anti-Christian saying this was terrible and say, oh, they're only saying that because, you know, they're anti-Christian. Right. Well, no, sometimes it's possible for Christians to make terrible art <laughs> and, and also to uh, engage with genre just for the sake of it, um, you know, like uh, Christian metal, Christian mm -hmm. rap. Why, why are you doing this? Oh, because we have to make this genre Christian without even conceptualizing that it potentially already was. Right. It's just not something that a lot of um, Christians who are thinking in, thinking in modernity can kind of wrap their head around the, the idea that an art form that already exists could have already had the, the skeleton of logos in it that would allow them to to use it to to create more mm -hmm. of it and to make it uh you know even further realized inside uh in inside a, a christian imagination but yeah so they're they're kind of creating like a christian rebranded version of something right. else and often they're, they're very terrible so it made sense to me that we were perhaps not as clear in explaining how how what we're doing is to sell Christ because uh, you know we're not making a lifetime movie right you know this isn't this is not lifetime movie Jesus this is medieval Jesus right. this is uh, this is Christ in the medieval world which is very 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 different to what a lot of people have been used to seeing 
Um, and uh, I, I think that's potentially why uh, translating that uh, again, it's easier if you use different terminology mm -hmm. and it's easier if you use a Latin word because then people start to understand, oh, there's something here that's a little different. Uh, well, it's what, I mean, it's, I recognize it's like what Chesterton was talking about. It's like, it's, okay, I think it's, we just writing a fairy tale. I think we just say it, it's a fairy tale. That's straight yeah. up. Yeah. And, you know, but Chesterton and Tolkien, and they all use that term. So I'll say, okay, so it's a fairy tale. And that what Tolkien said you do with fairy tales is recovery, right? The escape and consolation, mm -hmm. but recovery, you're able to see with fresh eyes, the world re-enchanted. And yeah. so we are very definitely writing a Christian fairy tale, but we're just writing a fairy tale because as Tolkien shows, the gospel is the fairy tale, is is the you know the model for the fairy tales with the eucatastrophe and the happy ending, and that turn right from sorrow to joy, which makes you always makes me tear up because you you have this kind of breaking through of joy into the um. I mean, it's like the realization of hope. What Patrick has done all, done all the work on him on his hope mongering, right? So a fairy tale. It, it, we should never have tried to label it up as anything else. It's a fairy tale. It's trying to break you through into that moment of joy. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we. That's the you know that's merely modest you know ambition that we've got ourselves. <laughs> we're already writing like Shakespeare. Just, we're, no. we're gonna give you the fairy tale that you know recovers the fairy tale for you. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Let's do it, right? Um, and and doing it through the the barriers of the either the loss of the icon, as you've said, or the prototype, so that people are no longer looking to the necessity for that prototype in order to make art, mm -hmm. or the, the the you know the it's not even kitsch. I mean, kitsch kitsch of itself can be quite sweet, but the a fear of making it, I mean, okay, we're doing it goth, right? You're saying it's medieval. We have to do it gothic and yeah. into that real wrenching recognition of what Christ, who Christ is. That's why I say we're selling Christ. It's like, we want to, to show you not, oh, here's this historical Jesus, which is the 19th century obsession with, you know, proving, proving that he existed historically. It's like, yes, he did. Don't worry about it. The problem for the medieval tradition was always, well, he's, he was in time and is still present, right? This is the presence of Christ is now and yet entered into time. That, that, and in our picture here with the, the gate, right? That's Christ entering into the city, entering into the world, entering into time. When he manifests outside the city, it's still in, you know, sort of mythological space and he needs to enter through that gate into time and therefore some of what is going to happen in the story is time travel because the story wins its way through different um uh, moments in time but all of that being like we're trying to show you that mystery through our story and it has to happen through a story as yeah. we talked about with patrick because you can't see it otherwise it's not going to happen propositionally No, it's not. Um, it's it's not a. It's not a dialectical thing. You can't right. debate somebody into understanding this. Right. Uh, it's not a logic problem. It's a heart problem. And I think that's why it's so important that people understand what they're doing when they're making art. They're speaking heart language. And poetry is a heart language. 
you know, we're talking about the iambic pentameter, the heartbeat. Poetry is a heart language. So we're doing this in a rhetorical way, but it's not rhetoric either. We're speaking the language of the heart and the human, the human creation runs on art. Yeah. Artbeat, really. Um, just as in said it from the beginning in the caves, there were pictures on the wall. There is no yeah. point of time when the human race have existed without art. It's not, it, it just doesn't, uh, history is the moment when we started to create art. There is no such thing as prehistoric because you can't prove a prehistory because without art, there is no proof of the history of mankind existing. This is Chesterton. Mm -hmm. So man runs on the art beat and then we, we have to engage in that way in order to understand truth, in, a, in order to communicate truth to each other or we can't really understand it. And this is the, this is the kind of problem that we're breast, wrestling with too in looking at what Europe did to itself, mm -hmm. specifically what Brit British civilization has done to Europeans and then to the rest of the world in um, placing the heart of the civilization from art, art world into science world and what's that well you know what that has done to everybody as mm -hmm. well this transformed us uh that that alchemical transformation of mankind because we've 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 been put into uh we've been put into a culture that's all science now the 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 idea of art as necessary to the human soul is uh is, it's seen as an eccentric thing to believe and to say so i mean that's what's it's so uh, interesting in the academia right it's like we're struggling the with the 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 humanities the, the humanities have been struggling as our probably because the humanities don't quite belong in the in the academy in this way mm. and i mean the the major thing i'm i'm thinking as we're talking it's like the major thing that art responds in joy to the creator and if and mm. and when E. Michael Jones is, is showing how it's it's corrupting it, art. Anything that's not responding in joy to the creator, you recognize it as um, ugly and um, disturbing, right? But that mm. I mean, the model that we we have for the whole project that we're doing is very much the medieval monastic tradition, which is in opposition to the scholastic. It's up as in opposition to the university culture and it's liturgical and it's about praise it's i mean it's, it's art is it, with chesterton's describing those cave paintings the lascaux cave paintings saying you can you know you can describe you can say all sorts of things about cavemen the only actual proof we have what cavemen were like are the fact that some of them drew <laughs> these beautiful pictures <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that you know the first you know you can say you could say that cavemen was all sorts of other things but we have no proof of that we have the proof of the joy of drawing these animals so cavemen yeah. drew beautiful pictures of animals that, that, you know, and whatever they were for, they're beautiful pictures of animals, of God's creatures. Yeah. Yeah, the cave was an art studio. Right. And, yeah. so, and so to yeah. be human in that, you know, in this, this strong sense of art is to be responding in joy to the creatures. And the Academy doesn't know how to do that. We're, we're not terrifically good at it. And so... We, we, we turn it to science means, you know, breaking things apart and trying to figure out how they work. And instead of responding in joy to our experience with them. 
but but is is that perhaps because they can't uh, they can't respond to it because then you're entering the realm of the theological? Yes. Yes, and that's why they get mm. so mad at me, you know, incidentally because the you know the, the, even in religious studies they're always outside of the with, no they're inside certain things right they they have certain social programs that they're arguing from within and they get angry about those of us who don't see things from their perspective but they're um generically the modern academic world does not worship right so it doesn't have a a, a, a way to respond in these terms it's it's tool it's controlling magical science is magic they're the same thing it's the desire for control mm. and therefore very ugly for the most part mm. which is the, the that that's the that's the horror of our story is that the desire for control makes yeah the horror Yes, yeah. we've we so we do appreciate that one of the things that Chuck was reinforcing is so you got to you make characters that people want to identify with and and then you have to put them through hell. <laughs> so yes, we are going to we're going through hell. We had to, you know we had to have our main character Damien be very handsome at the outset. So here, use this model to say for the picture, um, and you know that that I I think that's you know Gibson's The Passion of the Christ is very well cast because. Cavazil is very handsome and it works, right? It's like to have that beautiful man tortured to death in, an, in 24 hours is r riveting. Mm -hmm. um, when I think with the, the Passion of the Christ, the first time I was like, wow, he was healthy before he got, you know, scourged. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I, and I've, been, I've spent decades in, you know, my academic work meditating on these medieval meditations on the passion. And I don't, it hadn't really hit me properly until I rewatched the movie uh, last year. This is a healthy person who was captured and died within, you know, hours after that. Mm. I mean, execution. So, but, but, you know, that he, well, anyway. So, so we, we have, we have, um, A structure now that we recognize we're working through and that each of our um, friends was able to help us and and to, to see things and one was what what we learned with from um, Chuck about character right and what we're showing you now is the card pictures and their models <laughs> so you recognize that we were with our Damien um, um, face cards we have particular like period scenes what they were thinking of but also recognizing he needs to be that we we need to have him some kind of character and the i mean the strongest character here is the steampunk one <laughs> johnny Depp from sleepy hollow model mm. right that you, you have this as you know in a particular time with a particular attachment to science which is gonna be act three right the the, the, the the steampunk act is the third one when Therefore, he's going to be caught in the labyrinth and be dealing with the the um, illusions and confusion of the mirror world. Mm. But that we, but we yeah, actually it, have to. I mean, it's like this is why I think that we made, we made these card decks. I, this is what I was thinking. We made these card decks. I was like, oh, this is cool. We should have cards because they're playing a casino and stuff. And to make the card deck, we yes. had to find all these pictures of who, who we thought our characters were. And so we were actually character building, even though we didn't think of it in those terms. 
<laughs> and once we once we only got the cards like last week, right? And had been able to hold them and see them and say, aha, we were always making with this sort of dynamic of these characters in this this sort of gameplay, which you shuffle cards and stuff and they mix up in time and things like that. The card decks themselves are like if I do say so myself, brilliant. But again, we didn't quite get that until the art worked, right? It's like we need face cards in these suits with this the, this the sort of time period so that you can get inside tip, tip, temporal moments and character. And I, I guess I keep blending mm -hmm. what Chuck taught us and what Patrick taught us because you only know God through time. We don't know it any other way. We're not in eternity. We're only in time. And so any any understanding of Christ is going to come in time in particular characters. Yeah, we had to figure out a way to uh, help everyone access the, uh, the salvation in a chronological mm -hmm. way. Uh, especially as we set up the the city in rainbow time, which is, which is the all time experience. So, um, it was, it was our way of kind of like establishing this clear road of chronology that we're, we're going to follow through the, the electric all time of the city. Um, and maybe help everyone understand that the, the problem is not, a generational issue it's it's not uh the problem we're, we're wrestling within the story isn't set to one generation mm. you know like we're not saving the culture right. it's 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 which culture whose culture uh this is about this is about the soul and so it's the same in in all uh in all time periods uh regardless of when mm. they are um and then we get to see how the characters might might be behaving in different time periods and, and, and how that affects how that affects the fairy tale too, how that would affect their decision making if it does or not. So, right. Um yeah. We got we got a I think we got a much clearer sense of who Eliza is after making the those decks. Yes. Seeing her in her uh finery in different time periods really clarified her as a character because it was uh a omnitemporal evil mm -hmm. and it makes it 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 made it more chilling <laughs> to realize you know it's a there's not a there's not a time limit on on uh on what we think are the horrors of the past right Hmm. Well, it's it's a the 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 the, the simple well, the, the sort of simpler version of what I now realize is we you can only learn all of these kinds of lessons by having characters, and that's what when Chuck was yeah. talking about you know say how to make a character, how to get you interested in the story and the character, and then my realizing after the fact of all of this is saying, yes, I've all, you know, I'm thinking about Christ as a character. I've been always been better about thinking about Mary as a character, the frame for Christ. And this, this yeah. project and my, my own sort of realizing where I need to go in my scholarly thinking now is that that problem of indeed, how do you sell Christ has always been, how do you show people 
the the um reality of this character and it's a character not just a person you know there's personality and and so forth or historical figure but most modern scholarship on jesus is is worrying about proving his like whether or not he existed in time as that person as opposed Mm -hmm. to what we're doing is creating damien as this he's a christ character through these different engagements and that's hopefully going to show us something different about christ than just worrying about him in the historical fiction of the gospels i think yeah it's 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 almost like um uh when everyone is currently busy you know everybody's currently uh busy arguing over whether macbeth was Mm. real the character the character macbeth is still at uh still animated in the in the imagination of everybody anyway right so there is yes. you know you can you can argue like okay he may not have necessarily existed for real which is not my argument no, no, no. it's not yours but in terms of the character macbeth it is now he is real in the sense that he is affecting the culture the effect of the story is now running it's done it macbeth has been released <laughs> Right. <laughs> so they're, they're and they're not focusing on that. They're not focusing on uh, you know all other Shakespeare characters or the the Star Wars characters. I mean, Luke Skywalker pops up everywhere. It, it you know talk about art being referential mm-hmm. to art. I mean, I haven't even seen Star Wars properly, and I'm like, you know who the character is. <laughs> I know. Well, and- I know who the characters are. I know the lines. I know when they pop up when they pop up in other artworks and art forms, and they're referred as, "Oh yes, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, whatever." Historical or not, these characters are, are running. They're affecting people. They're doing things. So, yeah. But yeah, Sherlock Holmes. You know, the, the, famously, it's people saying, "Which of these characters yep. exist independent of anybody having read them?" Um, and you know, say Jesus is definitely one of those. And then recognizing, of yes. course, the Gospels are. You know, again, I realize this talking with Patrick, the Gospels are creating Christ as a character. That That is the whole point of them. Mm-hmm. That Not just saying, you know, there's this divinity, but he is now a character in these stories. And so it's it's now in retrospect, there as we've been doing this all along. And that a lot yeah. of what we've been wrestling with, I think, and not just saying bluntly, yes, he's Christ, is for this reason, we need him to be a character. And, and we've had a lot of writing mm-hmm. debates internally saying he can't and damien can't be like that we don't want him to into you know we, we don't want him to just play the supernatural figure he's not a super he, superhero because of you know that's not the way quite the way christ behaved in in the gospels but he does need to mm. um yeah so it's been it's been it's been an interesting challenge and now i recognize in, in retrospect is because we are trying to make him a, a real character of himself rather than just our sort of allegorical stick figure that moves through these scenes yes it's hard yeah it's hard especially because the the muse uh or the 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 one that we are trying to to show people in the story we all see differently mm-hmm. at times we have different uh experience of that character so um 
Well, I actually think that's good. Why there are four of us doing it yeah. together? Mm. That that is a challenge. So that we're not writing our person. I mean, our personal Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or gospel, yeah. you know, the gospel four, right? Is a problem of which is part of our also part of our story. The problem of which you know which perspective people take of of seeing him. Um, Yeah, it's. I mean, it has to be goth. Uh, it has to. It, it has to have uh, depth, and not just the. Here's the Christ character. Okay, moving forward. Yeah. You know. Okay, so that yeah. that's one feature, and then and then we also we were thinking about, um, which we've already referred to a bit, the Sermo Humilis. This 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 mm -hmm. is um, Damien in his Elizabethan outfit. <laughs> And therefore, you know, it, 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 the, you know, the Shakespearean level of courtier style and exquisiteness, and it, again, we've 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 kind of already talked through all of this this question is like, why are we writing what's effectively a comic book character in Shakespearean? I, I, we, I don't think we've achieved Shakespeare yet. Let's let's be fair. However, <laughs> I do think we're way better than we were when we started. So we keep getting better, right? The 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 sort of trying to write it in a style that well, it, it's funny because again, what if you read Shakespeare well enough, you realize one the reason he's so popular is he actually wrote real characters in his plays that have lots of different social statuses in the first place, and that his plays mm -hmm. had to appeal to both the the, you know, the patrons and Elizabeth, since they performed some of them for her, and to the groundlings who would throw peanuts at the actors, allegedly. Um, <laughs> so, ironically enough, it's like all, good art, you know, becomes high art. It, I, I'm not even sure what that is, right? Because most of the art that everybody considers, you know, inaccessible now was its popular art of the day, right? Like opera mm -hmm. or, you know, movies now or i mean video games now interestingly it's gonna wait for the time when when video games are considered you know elite art <laughs> one day they will be right <laughs> inaccessible that right you know that old style thing that people used to do in the 21st century <laughs> the elitist e-gamers yes you elitist <laughs> e-gamers you okay so we have that so the high low and then we have um, what what Hans um, talked about so well this pirating pirating of things in the public domain, which we have shamelessly yeah. done as this one's with Eliza and her model for the Elizabethan period, saying saying we are you know Eliza is basically modeled on Queen Elizabeth obviously because her name's Eliza, but it's also Drake because she's modeled on Sir Francis Drake as the pirate king, um, and mm -hmm. that the um, I mean I suppose there's this, the pirating of the historical figures that were modeling the 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 characters on um also the pirating obviously of all of these um images <laughs> we're saying reference to these famous portraits or these these well, famous portraits other models things like that um and that that pirating is of course also one of our themes yep the major one <laughs> it's kind of a major <laughs> one since her name's drake too <laughs> yeah um so should i talk about yes, the pirates? pirates pirating okay so many layers there <laughs> so we've got the historical we've got the uh 
the spiritual piracy. Uh, where do I start? We wanted to make a fairy tale that showed some of the history of British civilization and specifically the Elizabethan era, the, the shift from Catholic England to a uh, Protestant looting corporation that took to the high seas to launch uh, an armada against Catholic civilization, because that's what happened. Um, but also the 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 Elizabethan era is 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 the pirate moment for the English because they uh, they established the great navy of England. Their privateers were professional pirates. They went out. They were looting, pillaging, uh, running slave trades, uh, expanding the spice trade. I mean, it was it was uh, like we've said before. It was pirates of the Caribbean. Sort of. This is the beginning of 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 all mm -hmm. of it. So we wanted that to be the main theme. But also, the more we were meditating on this, we were sort of thinking, okay, pirates, pirates, pirates. How how is this uh, idea of a pirate sort of relevant to Christians in general? And you know we're we're meditating on the church's ship. The church is the ship of salvation. Mary is ark, and ark is a ship. And thinking about the oceans that we're living in uh, as as human beings, but also the civilizations. This kind of all of these currents that we live in, philosophies, cultures, empires, um, powers, all of these things, and this one consistent little ship that has kind of been here the whole time, the mm. Ark, and we're meditating on Christ as pirate. We think, ah, okay. So he kind of enters into the world as an anti-pirate. Mm -hmm. What's he stealing? He's stealing us. So the idea of the, you know, the Damien, our main character, our Christ figure, Damien Stone, he's pirate king. You see in the, the opening image when he steps off uh, <laughs> onto the dock from the, the pigeon cloud that he emerges from, there's a, there's a pirate ship in the background. Mm -hmm. You can see floating in the water. So from the beginning, we have it established that we're in a pirate, we're in a pirate uh, world um, and that Damien Stone has come as a pirate to steal. He's raiding the city. He's raiding the city for a very specific treasure, uh, which in this case is uh, is the Dracosmos that's that's held by the dragon and the city itself. But Christ comes as pirate to raid death. Mm -hmm. You know, we Silent Draco nailed you nailed it. It's the harrowing of hell. Christ comes to raid death. He's stealing from death and hell. So yeah, we 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 have this recurring theme of piracy, and it it just seemed perfect <laughs> to have that with the Elizabethans. We just oh, that's it. It's it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> so um, we're following uh, we're following the Anglosphere from that mm -hmm. point, at which they assume the identity as pirates and glamorize it. And it's it's funny when when Hans was talking about you know pirating things in the public domain we are we've been saying this we're pirating the Fairy Queen, which was its you know yeah. itself Spencer pirating previous you know uh, Renaissance 
epic poems and stories and Spencer is referring to the stuff constantly there but he's of course trying to make Queen Elizabeth this Queen Elizabeth that is in the rainbow portrait Gloriana the queen of of you know fairyland and give Elizabeth the, the Tudors a new mythology even though they've stolen the country and the property of the church and so mm -hmm. we're we're in fact yes you know counter counter appropriation of the Elizabethan appropriation of English culture. <laughs> We're appropriating from the appropriators. <laughs> yeah. So the pi the pirating is happening on these multiple levels, and yeah. um, you know it, it it is funny. It's like given that Star Wars is the Fairy Queen, and it's like the, the, the sort of layering of reappropriation is well, we enjoy it, right? Um, but that it it, yes. it yeah. So that that's a, that's a, a deep theme. Okay. Next, um, the um, the great story, which is what Patrick. I keep talking. I mean, Patrick's his conversation about the movies and how they're all the same story, and we finally got to biblical typology in a way that I could explain. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's working! <laughs> I've been trying to explain biblical typology for ages, and then we come along and say, yes, it's all the same story, and it just replicates itself over and over again in a fractal sense in the Bible. Okay got it now right <laughs> and that that um this is this is damien as magician who is in the you know the the opening he's, he's not really the magician in the opening um act but there is a magic the magic of modernity and right and what's funny about the tarot yeah. card model for this image is that the tarot as i've talked about um in previous episode 13 which was my my one of my two solos um the tarot itself is appropriating from a number of different directions and like what story is it belonging to but that we're 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 sort of never outside of the story that's showing you christ and the the problem of whether crowley yeah. that these writer writer weight um decks are sort of showing you some way of which the modern imagining of power and magic could be are appropriated into this magical understanding it's all still going to be Christ if it's actually a good story. And um, the, uh, VA Boston was actually noticing that uh, Zay put inscriptions on his sleeve and his, his band. And I don't think we told him to do that. He was often just sort of doing stuff and picking things up. And the, the art is showing you truths that you didn't realize were there that he's marked on it. You write, write it on your sleeve, write it on your brow, the name of God. That was not our intention. It just happened. So the art, the art, the 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 muse took over, and and because in fact in the Rider Waite image there's no writing on his garment, so that that is mm. is part of it. Yeah, the images sometimes just it it just happens, doesn't it? They do. They, I mean, some sometimes yeah. when Zay's talking to us, we have to give him, you know, he says what color should this be or what design should be here. And that sigil that we've talked about, the designing of the sigil, that did come out of, yeah. I was like, no, it needs to be something specific. And then you start, you know, in all of the references that we're using to put together these images in the story, which hopefully you will enjoy without knowing that all of these things are referring to everything else. But once you recognize mm -hmm. that you, you start finding them, that is our experience of finding the traces of God in our lives, right? Which is finding that, that we're constantly in that story that's referring to itself and referring to other stories. 
and that as we talked about with Patrick that it's always you know the greatest story ever told is always the structure of the truth behind our storytelling mm. so we're not gonna I mean yeah you can't, you can't escape right. it you can't escape it even when people are not intending on uh creating stories which are which are based in that uh typology it just happens right <laughs> it's like uh i I'm, i just had the the thought you know uh you can write a piece of music inevitably you have to use uh you have to use the scales mm. with the notes that are given to you you're never going to be able to write something that's uh you know, using a brand new note no one's ever heard before. Well, some people so have tried. <laughs> is it, is it well? Is it music? It no, I mean we typically <laughs> consider that it doesn't. It, 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 yeah. But the twelve tone music and the stuff like that. There's, I mean, there, there, these efforts to instead of using the great system of notes that I think. EMJ describes this in the book about how that particular set of key signatures and, and such as a structure was finally formalized and that Bach is the one that does all the exercises to work through all of them most perfectly. Mm -hmm. So rejecting them just proves the point that you need them. Right. Yeah. So even, uh, <laughs> even storytelling that's rejecting the great story just proves that it's there yes it just proves its existence it just yeah yeah well and that i mean we've talked about this people are frustrated with um the way you know the stories have been corrupted and then i think we were we did we were sort of pushing chuck to say it's like what what does it mean what what does it mean that when these stories are corrupted why is corruption so infuriating and we did i forgot exactly how we said it when we were talking to him i mean it's it's a desecration but why does it feel like a desecration mm. well it can't it's only a desecration if you're actually you know creating pro, you know cr treating profanely something that's holy and why would a story feel holy oh well because it's participating in the you know the great story of genesis to revelation in some way which we always are. So yes, <laughs> the standard is constantly there, but it, it, it's also, it, it's, it's sort of, oh, well, you know, if we're all always telling the same story, isn't that boring? Well, just telling the same story over and over and over again. And, and, and therefore that was what it was. I realized interestingly, when we were talking about typology on Monday mm -hmm. and saying, no, in fact, all of the old Testament stories of some form or another, they keep showing you different elements of, the great story the gospel story and yet it t it can take you a while to recognize oh that pattern is there because there's mm -hmm. there's it's actually got many facets yeah you just reach high definition right um the repetition helps the understanding of 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 the details i don't think it gets boring at all I mean, the scriptures don't get boring. No. <laughs> so, there's no, uh, there's no way of saying, okay, so we've heard this before. We just, you know, we'll skip to the last part. I mean, the details are all there for a reason. Right. And the themes are repeating themselves for a reason. That's part of the fun. 
is the repetition because you get to find the you you find the pattern and you you see the you see the resonance you see the pattern uh without the repetition there isn't a pattern so it's sort of like I use the same chord in this piece of music. Oh, aren't you getting bored of A? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good point. It's necessary to be there. Aren't you bored of yes? Um, aren't you bored of that chord? Well, <laughs> no. Um, but but yeah. I, but I mean, we've also but we do also in the writing have arguments about how to make Damien's character true to his character within the story that we're writing, as opposed yes. to referring to everything that could possibly be Christ-like. And yes. so the limitation yes. of giving him a character, I mean, it is teaching me things about the problem of, of the incarnation that I hadn't anticipated of <laughs> uh, that limitation in time and that truthfulness of the character, which is things like what Chuck Dixon was talking about in writing you know, every superhero was basically the same character in some ways, right? Because they're, they're, um, well, they're Christ-like in certain ways, but they're also, you know, different aspects of power or something, but they're always defenders of justice. And if they're yeah. not, then you realize you're in the, the presence of a, of a desecrated story. Um, yeah, but des describing Damien as a character instead of just, uh, just as, I mean, it's it sounds awful, but oh, it's just Christ. Like, it, I mean, this has been my worry since we started the project. Yes, that I didn't I didn't want him to become uh, impotent by not having his own characteristics in the world that we'd built. Mm -hmm. I'm really very nervous. <laughs> you know, we were joking in the in the in the marathon. Uh, my my reactions sometimes when we're writing, but I am very very nervous about this because, um, uh, it's. I mean, he's the protagonist. He's our dragon slayer, mm -hmm. um, and I don't want this to, to be. an artificial label slapped over something that is um i'm trying to find the words uh, and it, it got a kind of artificial renaming of of christ just for the sake of doing it right then it wouldn't work. Uh, I mean, like the story wouldn't work. Damien Stone as a character won't work. Um, also, because I feel like there is a fear of playing with a character who is supposed to be Christ-like. If we're not making Damien Stone his own character and it's just, oh, he's Christ, we'll just keep him as Christ. We're actually... Uh, we're not going to give it a complexity that we think we're going to. Mm -hmm. That's been my my fear, because the superheroes all have the complexity in that we know they're human. Right. They're potentially flawed. Christ has no flaw, so instantly, if we're rewriting and it's just Christ, then we have a character that has no flaws. That's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to work for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um. Because then we're eliminating tension. It's pro you know, it's problem solved. 
Well, and this is, I'd, so I'd say the, the Dorothy Sayers, my great heroine, did do the radio play of, of the man who, born to be king. And um, I mentioned this before that I had not appreciated how novel that was, that, that you know, Jesus had not been represented on the English stage in centuries because there had been laws uh -huh. against it. <laughs> and so when they did her play in, in the, in the, in the, was it 40s? It was stunning to people because they'd not, you know, had a, an actor play Jesus ever, right? The, the centuries yeah. and centuries. I mean, the, it, it was typical in the in the medieval period when they did the mystery plays, the sort of little scenes from different parts of salvation history, and and it was great tradition. But it was all wiped out um, by the Reformation, <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know, Shakespeare is coming in in the place where those plays had been. Right? You say, wonder how Shakespeare was was so amazing. Why did they have such a strong um, um, theater tradition? Well, they'd been doing plays for a long time, but they'd been, you know, Christ plays, and then they stopped. And so mm -hmm. now you come back in and you say, how do you portray Jesus in a play? And, you know, I am a great fan of different efforts to, to, to make, a, you know, credible Jesus character. Like Jesus of Montreal is actually very well done. I think his name's mm -hmm. Daniel in that story. Um but so it was striking to me when when Patrick was saying, you know, all of these stories are in fact Christ stories of some sort, like Little Orphan Annie mm -hmm. and Saving Private Ryan. Um, that I had not noticed those, but you know, you can notice that as a satisfying tension and resolution. But to do it well, so that you're not simply suddenly dropped in another Jesus play. Godspell is also. I mean, it's like I they've done. There've been a number of really well done variants on the the um, plot, but we're trying to we're trying to do one that satisfies certain other kinds of questions about what would it be like to save humanity in this or that situation. Mm. Yeah, it's a different. Uh, it's a different approach. Where describing how Christ saves humanity in a psychedelic situation. <laughs> We're going to pull this uh, off, we hope. Please pray yeah. for us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think that's where the, the, that's where the, the that's where the story is is, is definitely unique. Uh, But uh, yeah, I'm 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 going to push forward, hyper vigilant against uh, against uh, relaxing Damien Stone's character uh, into uh, you know the the established Christ that we know in the Gospels. I want uh, I want Damien Stone to be uh, to be a very strong character in his own right in our world that we've built. And, and you all, you'll, you'll appreciate this when the book comes out. It's like, we've had to do this in very spare. It's like every word counts. Right? It's like, we will argue, yep. argue over a single word because it might break the character. So the, yeah. the poetry is a, is a very mathematical level of choosing there. It's like, can this adjective fit right here or not? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's word Jenga. Uh, it's word Jenga <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
However, we realized and this is my, my last my last card face that the Harlequin um, mm. that this is all in fact a romance, and that the you know the the, the great story which medieval Christians understood of Christ coming into the world was always as the one that we're using as our frame is the quest for his love. And you're supposed to have a little bit of, you know, sort of ambiguity right now about what that means, right? What is his, he's rescuing humanity in the medieval tradition. It's the, the soul or well, the soul, but the, um, you know, the whole of, of humanity and he marries humanity and Mary's womb that, it, it's interesting that we're, we're truly writing, and this is why we were interested in talking with um, Chuck about comedy and horror, that we kept mm-hmm. saying that we wanted to write it as a horror story, but it is a comedy because it is, in fact, a romance and it has a happy ending. Yep. Um, but it needs to go through the, 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 the terror or the, you know, the horror of, of the crucifixion. How are we going to show that so that you can appreciate what it meant for Christ incarnate to go through the crucifixion? And we're trying to show it in a way that's analogous enough that the horror hits you, as I believe Gibson was able to do with his film. Because mm. At what point can you actually appreciate what this meant? And, you know, an authorized world, Owen has been often talking about, it's like, how, you know, how can God pray to himself in the garden? And like what what is that like? It's like the, and we we did that whole episode on the John Henry Newman's meditation on what goes on in the garden that that sense of what is it for Christ to take on our sins? How are we going to show that? And Newman did it mm-hmm. through that meditation on the mental suffering, which Zay illustrated so powerfully. Yeah, he did a wonderful job. We're doing, we're going to demonstrate this in a slightly different format. <laughs> and we can say uh, we have figured out a lot of things it's like i feel like rob when he's talking about well i figured it out but i'm not going to tell you what it's in because i want you to read my story yeah, i don't know if i want to tell them i think it's too good i don't want to know we don't, don't need to tell them we're selling christ and it's a fairy tale there you go yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that i mean i i hope that's enough for people to be intrigued like how are you going to pull this off um, and therefore, you know, that the level of Drake, you know, the Drake alchemicus is this spell casting of scientific magic. Hmm. I mean, I'll, I mean, at, at some point you're just going to say, you know, people have different tastes and I don't like thrillers. Right. Um, the, you know, the, not every story is to the entertainment that everyone else has. So. We hope you like this one. <laughs> yeah. Or we have these really beautiful decks of cards. You know, that's that's an interesting problem. <laughs> it is. Uh, I think the main the main the main thing with this uh, this tale is that it is going to get into horror, and we're not shying away from the reality of uh, of free will, mm. which you know as i said before it's not going to be a lifetime movie experience this is much uh this is a much uh this is a gothic psychomachia and it's going to be very challenging in parts for people to wrestle with 
So there. Yeah. We're selling Christ <laughs> into a, hopefully a, that kind the effect that good storytelling has. We hope we're you know learning to be good storytellers that you by way of the story learn things that you couldn't have learned any other way. And I think that was the the ma mm -hmm. the major lesson that I got from our marathon. One that you know we try to do it with a character, and that really matters. We're definitely doing it with this cultural appropriation so that, you know, the referentiality, but, you know, that's what art is supposed to be doing. And that it is participating in the story that all great stories are participating in, which is always been our major ambition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we want we want we want everybody to be able to find themselves in it. Hopefully, that's what you can see when you read it. You can see yourself in it. Giant mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have um, uh, Silent Draco is saying Ben Hur, a story of the Christ. Judah Ben Hur reflected the Lord, but was not him. Yeah. That it's it's there's. A lot of medieval meditations on things. I mean, I've meditated on the saints. The saints are all reflecting Christ. So you can say the multiplicity of the, all the saints are in some way modeling themselves on Christ. And look how many different saints there are. It, I mean, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. It's like how many how many different variants of the story can you have? As many as there are souls, because we all reflect different parts of God. We we're not God. Um, yeah, Casey's saying the censorship of portrayals of Christ on stage led to amazing creativity. And um, again, Casey, you have strict word limits when working with poetic form, which also leads to amazing creativity. Yeah, the the limits. Yeah. So so I you know maybe one day we we I think we're we're done now. We're not going to go on for six hours this time um, to talk about the the the, the way in which the poetic form is necessary to what we're able to do at all. It's like, it's not just a story and we're doing it in poetry and you could tell it some other way that there's certain yeah. things that you can only do with it in poetry that would never work. That cannot happen in prose. It's, it will not be there if it's in prose. So it's like saying, why can't you, you know, I mean, if music is, if poetry is music. And so you need to have it in that structure of sound and rhythm or mm. it doesn't happen yeah it's not just it's not just semantic units it's it's something else together with that yeah so it's it's the necessary instrument in order to make the make the art that you're making right you can't replace it with something else it has to be poetry We're done. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, it's, it, it, you put us together and we can talk for two hours on something we said we we're going to do simply. It's still Draco Alchemicus. <laughs> we're not going to call it snake oil. Forever. <laughs> but Draco Alchemicus, a fairy tale. We'll do it that way. with Fully illustrated with dragons. That's fine. But it's a fairy tale. And therefore, yeah. it's about Christ. But you hopefully have to like get into it. Well, anyway, we've done that. We've done enough for now. Do you think? You think we can uh, let them go to bed now? Or you... yeah. Okay. 
good. Uh, we should, I mean, I should get, it's like, find us on dragoncommonroom.com. There's lots of re resources and references and more reading. And um, we are very grateful to all our backers on the Kickstarter. We will be start sending out, you know, um, invitations for the, the um, uh, ways that we're supposed to fulfill things for you. And we'll keep you updated on our progress. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Good night.